Hi, my name is Isaac, lead pastor at New Hope Foursquare Church. Thanks for checking out our podcast. Our Sunday services are at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. Find out more at www.inewhope.org. It's good to see you. My name's Chris. I am uh, one of the pastors on staff here. Uh, we're going to bring our uh, ushers forward to receive our tithes and uh, offerings. I'm going to point to a couple things while they do that. The first is our connection card. This is your direct connection with staff and leadership here. Um, if you're a guest with us, please fill this out and you can drop it in the uh, offering bag or one of the bins in the back. Also, visit one of the IM news stations because we have a gift for you. And also, if you have a prayer request, you can fill that out right on the back here. And every Tuesday morning, we have a whole group of people that would love to be able to pray for you. And also, the welcome breakfast invite. Who here is a big fan of free hot breakfast? <laughs> ow, ow! <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it's actually real. It's not like when you go to the Hilton, they're like, free breakfast, and it's an egg and stale cereal. This is delicious. <laughs> so join us if if you have any questions, um, he can answer those. If you've been a guest with us, this is a great way to meet some of the um, staff and, and leadership here. Well, let's pray over what we give. Lord, thank you. God, thank you. Uh, we just take this moment now to, uh, to be able to realize, to be able to give you uh, honor, Lord. Every good and perfect gift comes from our heavenly Father uh, above, Lord. So as we give, we are just giving out of what, um, God, you have given us, Lord. Um, God, I pray for uh, you to give wisdom to uh, Isaac and the rest of the church council as they steward the finances of this church. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right, well, who is having a good summer? Yes, summer is here. Um, it's been lying to us for May and June, um, but summer's here, baby. So join the back deck, the fire. All of, my, all, all of my PJs smell like smoke now as you sit in front of the campfire in the backyard, uh, which is always a fun time. So um, we are going through uh, this summer, our summer book reading. We are going through a book by John Tyson and Heather Grizzle. It's called A Creative Minority. You can pick it up for only $5 at the coffee bar. Only $5. That's half of the cost of a Frappuccino at Starbucks. Okay? You can pick it up there. While you're there, get a reasonably priced drink from our wonderful baristas and baristos, if you will. So be, feel free to, to stop by there and pick that up. Only five bucks so you can follow along. Well, John Tyson and Heather Grizzle, they describe a creative minority like this. It is a Christian community in a web of stubbornly loyal relationships, knotted together in a living network of persons who are com- committed to, catch this, practicing the way of Jesus together for the renewal of the world. And so we're going to be talking about this. How do we practice the way of Jesus? What are our practices? So, um, well, I am a Pacific Northwesterner. Is that a, is that a term? That's not, if it's not, it is now. Boom. So anybody else uh, born and raised in the Pacific Northwest? Oh, yeah. All right. This is God's wonderland. 
I mean, as we look out and we see the beauty in my lifetime, I've been a hunter, fly fisherman, a backpacker, okay? Thank you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> thank you for the slow clap. Thank you, Pastor Isaac. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I have grown up in the Pacific Northwest, but I've also grown up with one of God's greatest tools to ever grace mankind, which is the GPS, okay? Never in a time ha- have I had to navigate the outdoors without a GPS. See, I, I mean, I was not in Boy Scouts. I was playing baseball and basketball growing up, so I never had to use the ancient tool. No, not the slide rule. Mm-mm, not the abacus. No, the compass. Does, does anybody actually know how to use a compass? And the hands are going up. Fantastic. <laughs> right? Well, I never had to use a compass growing up. I mean, because I always had this GPS. I had this yellow Garmin where it's like you put in your latitude and, and longitude and all you saw was like two dots and somehow that was supposed to miraculously get you to the end goal. And so I decided when I was 18 that I was going to be a man. <laughs> I was going to learn how to use a compass. Ah, yeah. <laughs> and so I headed off to my local REI uh, store. Have you guys been into uh, an REI? Yes. Yeah? There's one up in, in Kaiser Station. You can visit it. Um, but um, I'll explain it a bit for those of you who don't know. Inside, you will find a smattering of physically fit, rugged, chisel-calved men and women waiting to sell you gadgets, all right? All of them wear these green vests, okay? And inside of their vests, they always have like a water purification straw, just in case when they're rolling down I-5, they run out of water, have to stop on the middle of the road, drink out of a puddle. Um, But uh, so I I show up to uh, an an, uh, REI, and I'm looking for a compass, so um, I, see, uh, I see a grouping of these workers, um, also known as green-jacketed Sherpas, if, if you will. Um, and uh, they were talking amongst themselves about all of their latest adventures. And so I, I'm not sure exactly what they were talking about at this time, but I imagine in my head it was something like, uh, something like this. Yeah, so there I was, uh, hanging off a cliffside on Mount Kilimanjaro, 11,000 feet. He, he puts his thumbs inside of the vest. That's what they all do there. Mount Kilimanjaro, 11,000 feet, dangling off the edge of a cliffside. And uh, I had 7,000 more feet to go, and my harness was stuck on a tree limb. So I decided, because of my rugged physique and chiseled calves, that I'd just free climb the 7,000 feet as I went. As soon as I climbed, hands started to get a little tore up. So I uh, hung off the cliff with one arm and grabbed an aloe vera plant, created a fire, of course, be able to roast it over the top to increase its medicinal properties. You know what I'm talking about, Thaddeus, up top, right? So I roasted it, rubbed it all over like a salve in the palms of my hand, instantly making it even better. Free climbed another 3,000 feet and started to get a little tired, even though I have a 
rugged physique and chiseled calves, so <laughs> use the mating call of a bald eagle to call him in. <laughs> Come to me, my jungle friend, and carry me the final thousand. Oh, oh, you, sir, did you need something? Could I help you find something? <laughs> there I was. There I was, drinking a Diet Coke and trying to lick the Cheeto dust off, off my fingers. I need a compass, you know? I mean, it's embarrassing. You go in there, right, and you're like, these people are rugged. They make you feel as though you've never stepped off of pavement in your whole life. So he shows me to the compasses, and I pick it up like a schmuck, and, you know, I head to the checkout, and I check out, and on the way out the door, I see this. Basics of land navigation, a.k.a. how to use a compass, dummy. <laughs> so, like, this is my course. This is for, for me. So I sign up for this course, and the course is the following week, and we start out at Tam MacArthur Rim Trail, and we're going to head to this horse camp that is a few miles uh, away, and uh, we're starting off, and we've got the uh, REI guy, you know, hey, we'll see you in two, two hours, this smug jacket and smug little Nalgene bottle and smug bug spray. We get it, okay? We get it. And uh, I headed out, and I realized something very quickly as I tried to navigate with this compass. The longer that I had the compass out, the more that I was heading towards my path. But it seemed like, I mean, like we live in one of the most gorgeous places inside of the entire country. And so... I, I would be distracted by the beauty. You would see the three sisters, and you would see the streams, and you would see the mountains and the grassy fields. And all of a sudden, I would find myself off course because I was not looking at my compass. And I, I, I would also find, I mean, if, if you've ever hiked on some of the more serious trails, I, I mean, it's not just like I need to get where I'm going. I need to not die while I get to where I'm going to. So you're trying to step over stuff and under stuff and, and trying to keep your footing. And, and so it, it is a distraction to keep heading in the right direction. And I, I had to put my compass inside of my pocket to slide down this cinder hill, which I'm pretty sure I actually got off course to start with. I'm pretty sure they weren't sending this rookie down a cinder hill, sliding down on his backpack, but I was sliding down, and I ended up on the wrong side of, of the grove, and I had to re-navigate back, adding so much time to my trip. Every time I took my eye off of the compass, I found myself veering off course. The same is true in my own life, right? There are distractions in this world that, that cause us to veer off course. So I have this job at my house. Um, I am in charge of the guest room um, because it all, I also share uh, office space with it. So we have lots of guests. We're from Central Oregon, and so um, we have lots of guests come and stay with us. Um, they stay or freeload. I don't know. Either way. I've heard it both, both ways. But um, uh, if any of our guests are actually listening right now, you're, you're welcome. Um, 
So, uh, but my job is, is, to, is to get the guest room ready because typically it's all of my stuff laid out everywhere. So I go in there to be able to make the bed and I start to make it and you're trying to put a fitted sheet when the bed's up against a wall. Who does that? I mean, that's so frustrating. And all of a sudden, out of the corner of my eye, I see my guitars hanging on the wall. It's like, yeah, I know I should be messing with the bed sheet right now, but also there's guitars hanging <laughs> on the wall. And so, I, I mean, quickly, my job, my task, is veering off course to be able to noodle around on the guitar pretending I'm a Herrick Clapton and wasting way too much time. And, I, I mean, our lives seem to be regularly veering off, off course, It is not uncommon for us to wake up one day with feelings of regret and wonder, how did I get here? We just wake up one day, how did I get here? As we follow Jesus, it's easy to get off course. Some of us have addictions and habits that are killing us. They're dragging us off course. Some of us are experiencing heartache and tragedy that blind us to our own compass and we're not sure what to do. Some of us are unhappy in our family and and marriages, and we don't know what direction we should take. We can't see our compass. And these are only the obvious symptoms of of being off, off course. In our pursuit of Jesus, we struggle with selfish thoughts and motives, envy and strife, discontentment and and gossip. Jesus sets a hard a high bar for the Jesus follower. And so sometimes, as we're following Jesus, we can feel like, like there are inches away from the bar, and sometimes it feels like we are feet away from the bar. We feel like we are off course. Many of us in this room feel as though we are not experiencing all of our relationship with God as he intended. It seems as though there has to be more going on. Right? As we're constantly veering off course, there, there, there has to be something else going on that, that's causing us to veer off course, causing us to not be able to see our own compass. And so Tyson and Grizzle, in our summer book re- reading here, A Creative Mi- Minority, they write this. It has been my experience that the most effective discipling experience in the world is not the church. I want to say that one more time. The most effective discipling experience in the world is not the church, but rather the pervading culture. How exactly does the world shape us into its image? I remember asking my then eight-year-old daughter a question, and she replied, whatever. I asked her where she learned to respond to other people's questions in this way, and her response was uh, everywhere. It is this everywhere that shapes our lives. Uh, Hear me out, friends. It's our school. It's our work. It's our schedule. It's our eating habits. It's our cars. It's our family. It is Netflix. It is Amazon Prime. All of these things are discipling us. We're being discipled. Every second of every day, in every single moment, in every single context, we are being discipled. It is truly everywhere. But God has hope for us this morning as we come to his word, as we realize what it means 
to be a creative minority. We are discovering that, that we just don't have to be discipled passively, but we can actually push back the tide of discipleship of our culture through counterformative actions. First, we have to discover how are we veering off course? What is going on inside of our lives that is causing us to be able to veer off course? We have to a- answer this question. What is causing me to put the compass in my pocket? Let's pray. Lord, I pray that that we can see you high and lifted up, Lord. God, I pray your Holy Spirit would be able to uh, interrupt us during our our week, Lord. God, all of our thoughts and things inside of our mind, Lord, I pray that, that you would speak to us in a way that we can understand you and what you have for us, Lord. You truly do want us to to flourish, Lord. So speak to our hearts and give us courage, Lord, to be able to push into you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So first, we need to talk about this common thought amongst Christians, okay? And, and, and I'll frame it like, like this. Have, have you ever been in a situation where you knew what to do, but you didn't want to do it? That's just me? Okay, good. All right, fantastic. That you knew, you're you're like, I I know what to do, but for some reason, I really don't want to do it right now. And so I'm going to call this, or I'm going to introduce you to a groundbreaking new principle. It's trademarked. It's patent pending. Um, it's, It's called the kale principle, okay? Are you guys ready for it? All right, kale principle, all right? So they, I'm not sure who they are, but, but they are putting kale into everything. Like, have you noticed this? I mean, you can literally buy kale chips, kale puffs, kale noodles, kale kimchi. You can buy a kale popsicle. Like, this is real life now. You can buy kale popsicles. You can sit at home on a Thursday night with a kale-based face mask eating a tortilla made of kale while drinking a kale-based smoothie wearing a vegan-based kale sweatshirt. You can do that. But if you go to the local grocery store, have you ever once seen kale sold out? Like, have you ever walked in and be like, um, is there a proprietor of this establishment? Your kale's all gone. I want more kale. Is there more kale in the back? Like, no one has ever had to say that. Do you know why? Because kale's gross. <laughs> All right, am I right? Yes? Yes? Can we just agree on that? And if one more person tells me, I swear, if one more person tells me, um, uh, All you need to do is you need to put olive oil on the kale, little Mediterranean sea salt, You bake it, and you have kale chips. Do you know who says that? People who have never had chips, okay? You eat a bag of Doritos and come tell me that that tastes like chips, okay? That is lies. We're lying to to people, okay? As much as we know how good kale, like we agree, it's a superfood, all right? I'll live forever if I eat kale, okay? We know it's good for us but nobody wants to eat it. And, and the, the uh, Apostle Paul, he felt the exact same, same way. Not about kale. 
Well, maybe about kale. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, Paul, uh, he was a Pharisee, educated beyond most in the religious texts, and he was one of the religious elites of his day. If anyone, if anyone could have become holy through his head knowledge, it would have been Paul. He says this in, in Philippians chapter 3. I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have a reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as far as righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I mean, really. Like, I mean, not many of us could be able to say that. Listen to what he says in Romans chapter 7. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Paul was educated beyond most, and he, he was finding himself in the same situation we find ourselves in right now. I mean, right now. You could get, well, don't do it right now. But right now, you could get on, on your phone, and you can listen to some of the best preachers across the entire world. You could download amazing podcasts. I mean, we have so much knowledge at our fingertips. You could go sign up for a conference right now from a brilliant teacher. But listen, content is not our problem. Knowledge is not our, our problem. Our ability to manifest the fruit of our knowledge is the problem. We know what to do, we just are not doing it. We are not able to manifest it into how we actually live our lives. And so we'll see as we, as we go through this chapter that one of the major issues is the stories or the cultural liturgies. They are causing us to not be able to see our own compass. They are causing us to veer off course. And I'll, I'll explain it like this. Who here has, has ever been to the Woodburn uh, outlet malls? Have you ever been? Right? I mean, the place is packed. They've got every name brand you could ever think of. You can show up there. You can buy it at a, at a discount. And twice a year, Labor Day and Memorial Weekend, have you shown up there then? Like they advertise all of these sales. It's like buy one, get 99 free, you know? So everybody shows up and you can hardly find a parking spot. And so, I mean, droves are out. It's hard to walk by. Um, it's hard to walk down the sidewalk. We make all of our kids wear matching clothes just so we can find them. <laughs> and you're going through, and, and people are lined up for these once-in-a-lifetime sales. That's uh, ironic, because it's twice a year. But people show up. Because these sales, they have to save, save money. So they, they, they either save and save, they, they reorient their whole life, schedule and finances for this. People either save and save for this day, that never happens, 
uh, they typically are borrowing from next month, which is what it is to spend on a credit card. And they will, they will buy these name brand goods because you're getting such a good deal on them. Here's the ironic thing, right? All of these factory outlets from Gap to Old Navy to J. Crew, Banana Republic Coach, um, just so you know, all of these goods are actually produced for the factory outlet. They're manufactured cheaper so that they can sell them at a cheaper price. So ultimately, what we're buying from these places during this time is the same quality of what we're going to get at Target, which is the fancy Target. Yeah, come on. Yeah? I mean, it's, it's, it's the same thing. And so as we go, as we spend our, our money, as we reorient our lives and our finances for these once-in-a-lifetime sale, let's see what this scenario has taught us. Our value is in the products and logos we are able to ob- uh, obtain and wear. That our value is actually in a logo or a brand or wearing what I, whatever is hip or whatever gives us a sense of identity. And two, our vision for our live, lives is to use the least amount of resources, in this case money, for the highest value. In this case, cheaply made name brand apparel. All of these messages are counter-cultural to the kingdom of God. They, they are counter to what God actually says. Our value is inherent, meaning your value, your birthright comes from being a son or daughter of the one true king. You're born with that value. It's actually not in what you wear or what you do. It's about who you are, that you're made in the image and likeness of God. And two, while finding a good deal is not wrong. Listen, I'm not telling you that. Yeah, that pastor said I need to pay full price for all my coach hand, handbags. <laughs> that is not what I'm trying to say. Finding a good deal is good. The problem lies when we try to apply this, when we try to apply like, like this low-cost, high-reward mentality to our faith. We show up to a Sunday service and we start asking questions like, like okay, how many Sunday services do I really need to attend for me to be like, you know, good. You know, for me to like just get a little something, right? Or how much do I need to give? Or how much do I need to serve for it to be really good? See, we start out asking the wrong question because our culture is a low-cost, high-reward mentality. And this, this happens every single day. We, we are taught this. But is that what the kingdom of God is? No, the kingdom of God is, is not a bargain hunt. Jesus says this, if you want to find your, or, or sorry, anyone who wants, nope, just kidding. Whoever wants to find their life must lose it. That Jesus is not saying to us, yeah, just give a little bit, or, or I only want this area of your life. He says, no, I want your whole life. If you want to truly experience the abundant life that I've called you into, it's by losing your whole life. And so we see this. These messages come about every single day as we drive to work, as we work with coworkers, as we're in school. These messages that are counter to the kingdom of God are being told to us every single 
day. It, it would follow that, that, that the only way to combat these cultural liturgies is through countercultural action. If we live into these things by the way we live our lives, then how do we counter that? It follows that it's only by the way we live our lives. It's by our practices. Jesus says this in John, John, John 12. Okay? He's speaking to his disciples, and he's saying, hey, here are some things that you, I, I really want you to be able to, to know. I'm going to leave soon. So if you want to follow me, these are the things you really need to concentrate on. And so this is, this is what he tells them. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am. See, Matthew Henry, he's commenting on this passage and this is what he says. Christians must follow Christ. They must follow his methods and prescriptions, do the things that he says, follow his example and pattern, walk as he also walked, Follow his conduct by his providence and his spirit. See, by participating with the, ryth- with the rhythms or counterformative practices of Jesus, we have the opportunity to actually reorient ourselves, ourselves back towards God. We all find ourselves off course. There, there are times for all of us where we have put the compass back in our, in our, our, our pocket. But what if we had rhythms that, that actually reorient us back towards Jesus? That's what the rhythms are. And, and uh, so, so we will see rhythms in of themselves don't actually save us. So as we talk about these, these rhythms, these in of themselves are not going to save us. But what they do is allow ourselves to, to, to take a posture before the Lord that allows the Holy Spirit to be able to change us. The rhythms them, themselves don't change us. The Holy Spirit does. Okay. Jesus says this uh, about the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit of truth comes, that's the Holy Spirit, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own but will tell you what he has, has heard. He will tell you about the future. God has given us the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the helper, to guide us into all truth. Uh, Pastor Isaac talked last week, right, that, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The Holy Spirit directs us, guides us into all truth. The Holy Spirit directs us into the ways of Jesus. He is literally the compass that arrests our attention and brings us back into the focus of Jesus. So what can we participate with? What is a rhythm that that we can regularly be doing? And the first is this. Commit to this. The gathering of the saints, the holy body of Christ. Church is by far the most counterformative action we can take. James James K.A. Smith, he he wrote this book. Um, it's called You Are What You Love. And he tells this story. And you may have heard this story before, but he's going to expound on it here in just one sec. Um, uh, this story goes like this. There was this devout Christian man. He lived in this village. And a flood was, was coming. So the flood waters start to rise. And then uh, his friends show up. They're, they're on a canoe. 
And they show up and say, jump on board. And he says to them, no thanks, God will save me. So they're like, okay, all right. So they, they paddle off, and, and the floodwaters, they rise more, and it's getting up to the windows, and so a big boat comes, and uh, they yell out to him, come on, uh, jump on board. And he says to him, no, 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 God will save me. Uh, I'm all good. I'm like, all right, so a motor off, and the floodwaters are rising higher and higher. It is up to the roof now, so he has to climb up. Standing on top of the roof, he sees a helicopter coming. Helicopter comes, they drop a basket down, there's a rescue diver, and he says to him, come with me if you want to live. <laughs> okay, maybe he didn't say that. But um, he, says, he says to him, uh, no, 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 God will save me, go on. Right? And so things actually don't end up well for him, spoiler. Um, but he ends up in heaven. And when he gets to heaven, he asks God, why didn't you save me? And his response was, what are you talking about? I sent a canoe, a boat, and a helicopter. What more did you want? And so, yeah, that's a funny little story. But Smith goes on referencing the local church. And he says this, listen to this. The practices of prayer and song, preaching and uh, offering, baptism and communion are the canoes and boats and helicopter that God graciously wants to send our way. Amen. We live in a novel culture. And when I say that, I'm, I mean we are in a quest for some sort of novelty, right? We need to be inventive. And so, and so in that, we can always be looking for a new podcast, a new book, or a new experience at a conference. It can seem like the answer. We're always looking outward. But this is it. In this ordinary place, the gathering of the body of Christ, dedication to our rhythm of gathering is the answer for our lives. This countercultural action reminds us that we are not our own. We are actually designed to serve other people. That this faith is not just a personal relationship. We talk about that a lot. That it's about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But listen, that's true, but it, it is also a communal experience. You are saved not just to Jesus but you are called, Scripture says you have been grafted in, that you are saved into the body of Christ, which is his gathered church. It teaches us that just as others depend on us, we depend on other people. As we sing songs, we verbalize faith that culture tells us that is to only be experienced internally. As we hear preaching, we remind ourselves that we don't have everything figured out and we need to be re reoriented. Communion reminds us the, that we are called to identify not just with the life of Christ. We talk about the resurrection of life that we have been made new, right? But we also identify with the death of Christ too. That if we want to find our, our life, we must lose it. And so we gather in this ordinary space. It seems simple, but it is profound. And it, it, it listen, the gathered church has been catapulting believers for 2,000 years into deeper and deeper levels of faith. And we can skip, skip over it. 
There are some Sundays where I walk into this place, and this may cause you to feel shocked, but some days I do not feel like worshiping God. If I can just be real, I, I, I've had a rough day. I got in a fight with my wife the night before, the morning of. My kids are fighting. One of them tried to cut the other one's hair off. I mean, this stuff happens on a regular basis. And so I come into this space, and I'm feeling frustrated that I'm not in the right headspace. And I'm on the front, front row, and, and I'm just feeling all of these emotions and worship starts, and even though I don't feel like it, I get to sing out with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Even when I don't feel like it, I raise my hands in a sense of posture, saying, Lord, I surrendered to your will. I'm surrendering to you right now regardless of how I feel. And you know what happens when I take that posture, that regular rhythm of following Jesus and worshiping him with my brothers and sisters in Christ? As I take that posture, the Holy Spirit changes me. As I surrender to him before I even feel like it. Thank you, Lord, for a rhythm of the gathered church. You know what one of my other favorite rhythms is of the, of the local church? It is com- communion. My, my wife and I take it together. And so, I mean, we got married at 20, so we grew up with each other. And so... Really being able to be a self-sacrificial, loving husband. I did not have that example in, in my family. I'm a first-generation Christian. Ow, ow. <laughs> ow, ow. <laughs> and so as I, as I experience that, and I sit with, with the broken body of Christ and the blood poured out for me, as I follow in, the, in that rhythm and pray for that with my wife, as I take that and experience that, I see the beauty that it is. The Holy Spirit regularly reorients me back to what it is to be a self-sacrificial, lay-down-my-life type, type of husband. And while I can get lost in all of my roles as a human being, the Holy Spirit uses this beautiful rhythm to reorient me back towards him. It's not fancy, it's not, not novel, it's been going on for 2,000 years, and it's still changing the world to this day. So do this. Put your preferred church service on your ca- calendar. Block it off. That nothing, nothing will come against this. Make a commitment. Not Listen, you're not making a commitment to the 501c3 uh, New Hope organization, but to the gathered, ordinary, incredibly messy body of Christ here on Corden and Swiggle Road. The ordinary local church gives us access to the extraordinary kingdom of God. This is what it's about here. And two, as we are entering into this fall, we have all kinds of sign-up uh, opportunities. We've got Alpha starting. We've got 10 weeks of, uh, of that. We've got 10 weeks uh, of Rooted starting. And as you're doing that, uh, sign up for those things. We've got Financial Hopes starting, how to reorient our lives back to how God wants to, us to handle our finances. You can join in on that. You can step out of your comfort zone and sign up for these things. As you go through Rooted, you're going to learn about the rhythms of being a Jesus follower, like devotions, prayer, fasting, 
breaking strongholds, serving, sharing your story, giving, and the Christian art of celebration. That these are rhythms that you'll walk through not just by yourself, but, but, but with a dedicated uh, group of believers. And so if you have already been through these things, you can invite other people into these things too. Be, be praying now. We got six weeks until we start. I guarantee you, you have influence in the lives of coworkers, in family members, um, in, in, in friends. Invite them to Alpha or Rooted to, to be able to experience these, these things. Because even as we go forward, what you're building now through the rhythms of Jesus and being transformed by him, it's not just for you. That God is not transforming you just for you. You're actually transformed to transform other people. And I love this. Even as we gathered in this rhythm here, as we sang, one of the liturgies of New Hope here is we bring our kids front row into worship here. And guess what? They see you. They watch you. They watch you week in and week out, showing up, singing loud for him, being transformed by them. Because you're not leaving a legacy just for yourself. We're passing an passing it on to the generations to come. It's not just for our kids. It's not just for our, our grandkids. It is for a legacy that will send ripples into eternity. A lot is on the line here, but God is doing a good work. So let's imagine for a, a moment what this type of life could actually look like. Uh, I want you to stand with me as we read uh, a fairly fairly well-known and popular verse here. Paul in chapter 5 of Galatians is a famous uh, section of scripture describing the wonderful attributes of the Jesus follower. He says this, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. See, so much of our life is we're trying to strive for these things, right? I need to be more patient, or I, oh, I, I wish I was more kind, or I wish I had more self-control. But what if by practicing the rhythms of Jesus, we lived how Jesus lived? By practicing these rhythms, we were transformed into, into people who weren't just striving to be more patient, but who actually were patient people. What if by following the rhythms of Jesus, we weren't people who were just trying to grit our teeth and have more self-control? We were people who were marked by a sense of self-control. This is what happens over the days, the weeks, the months, the years, the decades of our faithfulness just to follow in the rhythms of Jesus. It doesn't happen overnight, but little by little we are reoriented back towards what the kingdom of God is and it's transforming lives around us constantly. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your reorientation 
this morning, Lord. God, I pray that, that the beautiful nature of, of what this is, Lord, it seems so ordinary as we gather week in and week out, but you use this to do such a mighty work, Lord. God, I pray that you would continue to, to do that, Lord. Holy Spirit, transform us, God. God, as, as we posture ourselves, ourselves uh, in front of you, God, through, through your rhythms, Lord. Holy Spirit, trans, transform us into the image and likeness of your Son. In Jesus' name, amen.